Hey, welcome to How to Write a Novel. So here's one of my uh, episodes recorded on my cheap-ass 7-Eleven phone, so it's going to sound a little crappy. But I just had a couple of things in mind. So, uh, so I've been visiting my hometown, and uh, I had vague plans to go visit my friend Brad in Japan later in uh, the year because I've never been to Japan, but I was kind of putting it off, just like, whatever, we'll just wait and see till uh, whatever feelings bubble up inside me to let me know how to proceed. And yeah, it just kind of hit me where I'm just like, all right, I've been here long enough. This weather is so bad. There's so little to do in this town. Like, my whole life really kind of revolves around just going to coffee shops and writing, <laughs> you know? But even that is so limited in this town. There's just nowhere to go. It's killing me. So anyway, I got uh, plans. I'm like gradually building up to the Japan thing. I'm going to go to Montreal because I've been there before and I really like it. Then I got this insanely cheap flight to Amsterdam. I think it'll be interesting when I get to Amsterdam. I'll talk about it then. Because that was kind of the inspiration for this whole novel that I'm writing. This uh, stranger in a strange land fucking person stranded in a place where they uh, feel weird and uncomfortable was all based on me going to Amsterdam in like 2016. And uh, yeah, just the stress of it and the culture shock and how weird I felt. It's kind of the seed of this whole book. But this time I'm more prepared. I'm more ready for it. And I think it's going to be, you know, since I've been there before, I know how it works. I know how the city works. I know where things are, I know how to, just little things, I know how to buy metro passes, you know. I'm going to go there for a little bit to kind of pressurize, you know, get used to uh, traveling again. Then go to Japan, although I don't have that booked yet. But it's crazy, because I wasn't sure if I was going to do this Amsterdam thing. I was like, is this too expensive? Can I really afford this? You know, I've got some, like, inheritance type money. You know, I'm lucky enough that I can just, I can kind of travel around, but it has to be cheap. I really need to pinch my pennies, and like, I don't, everything I own fits in a book bag. I don't buy anything. That's kind of the trade-off, you know, is like, I am lucky that uh, I have this situation, but it's also that I'm a cheap date, you know? And uh, it's amazing, I got this flight to Amsterdam for 200 bucks with all the fees and everything. I think it was 230 Canadian. And the Canadian dollar is not an extremely strong dollar. But the trick is not flying directly to Amsterdam. That's expensive. But I got this flight from Montreal to Reykjavik, Iceland, and then from Iceland to Amsterdam for 200 bucks because there's this unpopular flight from Montreal to Reykjavik that just has empty seats. Similarly, the flight from Reykjavik to Amsterdam is not exactly packed every single day. So there's these like fringe flights you can get where it's just like, hey, why not? Let's fucking toss this guy a seat, make 200 bucks. It's better than nothing. And I get this crazy cheap flight. It's so cool. Those types of things don't really exist so much in North America, at least especially not in Canada. Like we have just direct flights. We have very few airlines if any, I think we just have the one. You take what flight they give you, and that's the end of it. 
where once you get to the other side of the world, there's so many options, so many weird things. So I got this really cheap flight to Amsterdam because, you know, I also booked it a couple of months ahead of time. And Amsterdam itself, unfortunately, is not cheap. There's nothing you can do. The cheapest I could manage, even getting quite far to the fringes of the city, is still $40 a night for Airbnb, which is it's rough. Montreal, I got a place for $15 a night. It's right by the St. Joseph's Cathedral. Impeccable reviews. You know, even awesome places in Montreal are pretty cheap. Where in Amsterdam, even the crappy places are three or four times more expensive. So you can't make everything cheap. I don't know. I guess there's probably options. Couchsurfing.com I could probably do. I don't know. There's probably ways, but... But that's the benefit, too, of, like, really trying to be frugal, trying to be thrifty, is then when something does go wrong and something is expensive, it's not the worst thing in the world. You can you can soak that. But then, yeah, like, so I haven't booked anything after Amsterdam yet. But just as a test, I'm like, how much is it to fly from Amsterdam to Tokyo? And there's a flight for only $400, but it's a 42-hour flight, you know? <laughs> Like, there's so many options. It's so interesting. It's like that game 80 Days. You're just planning routes and figuring out stuff. And, like, if you don't want to spend a lot of money, you don't have to. You just pay for it in other ways. You pay with a lack of flexibility. You got to book ahead of time. You got to transfer a lot of times. You know, I'm not going to take that flight. That's insane. But I'll figure something out. Anyway, that's a, that's a side thing. <laughs> I'll talk about that more as the traveling happens. But yeah, so I've just got another couple of weeks to kick around in my hometown. And uh, I guess what I want to talk about, it's the, the benefit and the curse of getting older. You know, I'm 39. It would have been really cool if I managed to somehow become a writer when I was a young, vibrant man. But it wasn't realistic. I just didn't have the skills. I didn't have the the work ethic. I didn't have the stick to itiveness. I didn't have the worldview, the understanding of myself, really, to be able to to write like I do now. So it would have been cool. It would have made me seem like some kind of cool wunderkind, but it was not going to happen. So now I'm older. It's less exciting, you know. It's less exciting for a 40-year-old to finish a novel. It's like, yeah, so what? You're supposed to be able to do that. You're 40 years old. You're an adult, <laughs> you know? But hey, here we are, you know? I'm just glad I got here. I'm just glad that I have this ability now, this confidence. It doesn't really matter what happened before. It's just important that I'm here now. It's like that saying of like the best time to do any project, the best time to take on something is five years ago or now, <laughs> you know? But man, uh, just like oldness. Oh, geez. Like I've just had this horrible heartburn all week. And I don't know what it is or where it came from. I've been eating like shit here. There's these, my hometown, it's Fredericton, New Brunswick. There's these samosas here that are kind of sort of famous. If you know Fredericton, you probably know these samosas. But they're really greasy and really spicy. And I've been eating them the whole time I've been here like a stupid asshole. They always give me stomach aches. They always make me feel bad. Maybe it was inevitable that something was going to happen. But yeah, this heartburn that just kind of won't go away. My mom was telling me about the hiatal hernia that she had. And it's uh, genetic. A bunch of my aunts have it too. I might have that. And it's just like, 
Uh, I just gotta stop eating like an asshole. I gotta be real careful. This just sucks, man. I'm old. What can you do? It's only gonna get worse. But on the plus side, the plus side of being older, obviously I'm not old, but I'm older. I'm not 20. I'm fucking 40. Is uh, seeing the overall arc of things is just really useful, of endeavor specifically. Seeing the results of artistic endeavor is great. Because what I've realized as I get older is it doesn't matter if you're successful or not. Which is just something I, I literally don't think I could have understood when I was younger. And I think that's valuable in being younger. You strive, you push, you just desire these things so bad. You just want to be successful. You want stuff to work out. You want to achieve things. And that's important. And a lot of change in the world comes from that. But as you get older, it's really neat to recognize how much that wasn't the point. And that the fact that none of my little artistic endeavors have really worked out really doesn't matter. Like, going back to when I was a teenager, me and my friends in the neighborhood had this little weird hip-hop group we started. And from there, it kind of spun off. We had different bands, but it was basically the same people in all the bands. We had our little names for the bands and our different characters that we played in each band and our weird mythology of this whole, this umbrella of bands. Not only was that not really popular, it kind of never could have been popular because I just never really got it out there, you know? I think we had like one little EP that we got online and that was about it. But it's that doesn't really matter because to this day, 20 years later, we still talk about that, you know? My friends still are like, hey, you remember that? Remember that weird band we had? Remember that dumb song that we did about like how everybody in the movie Crawl has a beard and <laughs> just this stupid shit? And like, that's more valuable than anything. It's just so neat to have that. And around that same time, we had this movie review site called It's a Movie, So Watch It. I'm not sure if that's online right now because my website went down last year. I should check and make sure it's back up. But it was in like the year 2000, you know? It was basically just a podcast. We watched movies and then we stood around in the parking lot and recorded what we thought on a little dictaphone and then put up the, our reviews, which were only a few minutes long because there was nowhere to host MP3s back then. It was basically a, uh, a podcast years before podcasting. We had to, <laughs> I would write up like transcripts because it was so garbled. It was like hard to, hard to even tell what we were saying because our tech was so shitty. But again, we still talk about that. Everyone who was involved in that back then, when I talk to them now, they're like, man, you remember that shit? Remember how cool that was? And, like, all we would get is an occasional little, like, guestbook entry or, like, someone online, you know, just the occasional weird little listener. Someone would, like, post a comment that, like, hey, man, that was funny. I like that. So it's not like nobody cared. But what's important is that we cared. And we still remember it. And we still think fondly of those days. Like, remember how fun that was? Then if you jump forward... In 2010, I started doing this podcast with my Toronto friends called The Vinyl Countdown, where we would just go to a bar and sit around and record ourselves trying to be funny. Some episodes were pretty good, some episodes were bad, sometimes the sound quality was alright, sometimes it was awful. 
but we did like 200, a little over 200 episodes of that show. And it was never very popular. Like we had a few little people that paid attention and kept up with us. But really, again, the benefit was just that we did it, that we had that, that experience and that time together. And that show fell apart for a few years, mostly because I moved away. But just this past year, we started doing it again, which is just, I really never expected it. But it was because my friend Craig's fiance, he mentioned it to her. And I was like, whoa, why would you do that? Why would you tell your fiance who had nothing to do with this show? Why would you even tell her about this show? Because I mean, we just sat around being drunk, trying to be funny. And even the world between 2010 and 2019 has changed radically. Already, like when you watch an 80s movie, you're like, whoa, you can't make those jokes anymore. You watch a 90s movie, you're like, dude, I can't believe, I forgot how offensive the 90s was. Even 2010 to now, it's like, god damn, we made a lot of jokes that we would not make now. If somebody ever wants to just <laughs> try to character assassinate me, the Vinyl Countdown podcast is all you need. But Craig's fiance kind of liked it. She was like, I like this show. It's funny. I mean, sometimes it's garbage. Sometimes it's terrible. But sometimes it's really funny. And she kind of like spurred us on to do it again. Like maybe it was kind of funny. Maybe it was kind of good. So we just started doing that podcast again after this big, long hiatus. And again, it's the same thing of like, like what's really cool about it is the that we had done it you know just that we did it just that we had that experience and that past and that back catalog and we kind of brought a version of that podcast back to life and some people remembered some people were like oh cool some people are still following the twitter some people are like oh sweet new episodes right on but really the value is just to us and and it's it's just an interesting feeling it's like it's different than if we just started doing a podcast now. The fact that we had already done this podcast and we have this catalog and we have these shared experiences and these memories, it's just really cool. You know, like it's really doesn't fucking matter how many people listen to it or if anybody listens to it. What's valuable is that we listen to it. What's valuable is just our own feelings about it. Oh, fuck. Ah, shit. Just walked through a big puddle because it's dark and the snow is melting. Now I'm in that little moment of like, did my shoes protect me or am I going to feel a, a cold seep into my socks? Time will tell. I think I got away with that. So anyway, that same philosophy definitely holds true with writing. Like the, uh, the book I wrote about the video game The Last of Us, which you can get at keithcourage.com. I had all these fantasies of like, oh, I sure hope it's a big success. I sure hope everybody cares. Didn't really happen, which in hindsight is kind of, of course it didn't. Like, what's the most famous book about a video game that I've ever heard of? You know, there's a handful of them, but they're not that famous. And I didn't hear of any of them at the time. I found them all several years after their release. And right now I'm like repurposing that book as a series of YouTube videos that I I still have that hope that like those will catch on and like it'll still, there's still a spark there that could still ignite. But if it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Because what's important is that I did that book and I was just, uh, 
I don't know, I was just looking at it on my website the other day, and I'm just like, look at that, look how cool that is. It's so cool that I wrote that book, and the fact that I wrote that book is the whole impetus for why I feel confident enough to do this podcast. Like, I feel like I have something to impart now, because instead of just failing over and over, I finally did it. I finally succeeded in writing a whole book, and I've got a technique, and I've got a, a process that got me from A to B to C to Z, that it worked once, it'll work again, and so far it is working. And that personal value is so much more important than anything else that could have happened. Would be nice for any of these things to have kind of popped off and gotten some visibility. But, I mean, realistically, especially in the internet age, everybody's making something. Even things that are successful and popular are still a drop in the bucket that most people don't know about. It's a, it's a tough old world as far as getting visibility, which it was in the olden days too. Before the internet, it was just a different kind of like getting through all the gatekeepers. and It was never easy. It can never be easy. But that's all secondary, because what's really important is just the act of doing it and the fact that you did do it. And yeah, like I said, it's just something I couldn't really see when I was younger because I just didn't have those experiences yet. I didn't have what I have now, which is like, if I look back at 2010, and I'm like, look at that podcast I did. Or I go back to 2001, and I'm like, look at that weird movie review site that we did. And I just, all these different things. I could name you fucking 10 other weird things that I did, either by myself or with different people that no one gives a shit about. But they're all important to us. And it's just, we have this cool legacy of shit that we did that was just fun and neat. So I was thinking that today. Of uh, It's a little tough to squeeze in writing today because I didn't sleep very well because of all my stupid acid reflux or whatever's going on. And I ended up sleeping through the day quite a bit. Apparently, I'm not supposed to drink coffee, which really hurts. There's all these things about, like, having uh, stomach problems that that are probably for the best anyway, right? It's like, don't eat chocolate. Don't eat fried food. It's like, yeah, okay. I mean, this could be there could be an upside to this. I have to be more mindful of myself. I really don't mind being healthy. Maybe I just need that little push to really make sure that I stay orthodox with my diet. Coffee hurts, though. I'm like, fucking shit. God damn it. I don't want to give up coffee. But I walked down to the coffee shop pretty late at night this time. Got a coffee even though I shouldn't. You know, my mind's just burdened with old man problems of like, ah, my stupid, what is this health stuff? And it sucks that this hit right as I am setting up everything to travel. Theoretically, this is going to be a lot of traveling, man. It's going to be like 20 days in Montreal, which at least is still in Canada, but then 20 days in Amsterdam, maybe somewhere else in between. Then, like, I'm planning to do, like, a whole three months in Japan. And who knows after that? Bad time for health problems to start arising. It's just like, oh, man. Bah. But I got a coffee anyway against the prevailing wisdom. Even that, though, I mean, it's like, hey, like, maybe... One coffee a day is not bad. Before I was having like three coffee a day. Even if this doesn't get me to quit coffee entirely. If, I do, if it gets me down to one coffee a day, that's still good. That's still a, a bonus. I mean, Jesus, all I did since I got back here is burn out my fucking guts with spicy samosas and drink shitloads of coffee. 
No fucking wonder my stomach rebelled eventually. But anyway, sat down to work on my novel. And I've been creeping through this current chapter. It's going real slow, but it's finally really coming together. I think I got the whole outline laid out for how this whole chapter is going to go. And I just felt so good about working on this book that it just made all these other stupid problems just seem like, well, whatever, man. We all get old. We all got our shit we got to deal with. But what really makes me happy is just working on this fucking book. And now that I have that sort of grander view of things, it's like, yeah, I've got all my fantasies. It would be super cool if this book got published. And it'd be super cool if it was successful. And it'd be super cool if they made a movie of it. And it'd be super cool if they let me direct it somehow. <laughs> you know, I got all my silly fantasies. But it's like, you know, 1% of 1% of 1% of a chance that any of that shit's even going to happen. What's really valuable is just right now, just that time tonight that I was sitting in the coffee shop and just so happy with that chapter and how it came together. And this whole two years or whatever that I'm going to spend writing this book, that's, that's what's important. That's the part that's going to be important to me in my life. And that has nothing to do with whether it's successful or not. Even if this book never gets published, I'm going to be so happy that I did it for moments like this. Because it's turning out so well. And it's, even if nobody else likes it, it is the book that I want. It's the story that I want. Like in this chapter, it's a very low-key chapter. It's really just kind of the malaise coming to a head. It's just these two characters talking, basically, for the whole chapter. And it's just the right level for me of... It's like dour, it's sort of depressed, but it's not melodramatic, it's not too much. It's just, it's just exactly what I like, it's exactly what I want. It's exactly the tone that I find so hard to find other places. And this is like going to be the final catalyst. The very next chapter is going to be like, hey, big change, big uh, sea change coming. But this chapter, it's just the two characters talking about their, their parents and their different societies and just how they're both kind of in their different ways, kind of adrift at sea. They're both just in between spots in their life. They're both just waiting to go home, but it's never going to happen. <laughs> and that's it. And I just like it so much. And yeah, that's really a fucking rambly-ass episode of this podcast, but that's all I really wanted to express, I guess, is... Again, that's why I guess I find it so odd when people solicit other people's advice about writing, and like, oh, what would be a popular story? Or what do my uh, beta readers think? Or what, uh, I don't know, what, what, does, what does someone else think about my story? What does someone else want out of my story? That's really not how my brain works. And that's just not valuable to me. Even if somehow, through the weird twists and turns of the future, I don't know, what if? What if my second draft is radically different than this one? What if I read this thing back and I'm like, I just don't think this is working at all? Or what if I do manage to get past a couple of gatekeepers of publishing, but I need to change the book a bunch and I, I'm convinced to do that and I do it and... What comes out at the end of the day is some weird other thing that's different than this. Who knows? All that stuff could happen. But what's really valuable is just this time, this like first time through. 
which ties into that, uh, that saying I've been talking about lately. The, uh, I hate writing, but I love having had written. And how much I hate that stupid sentence. Because I love the writing part. This is what's important. Just dwelling in these scenes and in these moments. And even though, like, this chapter is just kind of a low-key chapter where arguably nothing is happening. Because it's all just mental, emotional shit happening. And it's really going slow, and it's taking me a long time because I want it to be just right. And just in this moment, right now, this day, I really feel like it's just right, you know? It could all change in the future, but right now, this is what's nice. This is what's important. This is going to be the beneficial memory. When I look back on this whole thing, no matter what happens, this is what's important. Just doing these things is what's important. All right, so there's that episode. <laughs> For Song of the Day, so obviously uh, in recent episodes, I've been talking a lot about that band, Bring Me the Horizon. So they just put out a new album. And it's and it's interesting because it's, it's a similar kind of uh, path they've gone down as the band AFI, where AFI started off as like a really abrasive hardcore band, and I wasn't that into them. Then they hit this sweet spot where I fucking loved them. And then they did a kind of just a, uh, a blander version of that with this album Sing the Sorrow that everybody loved. But I did not because it just felt like a softer version of what I liked. But it was real popular. I'm like, blah. That's an unfortunate turn of events. But then their next album, December Underground, just got weird. It was so far removed from their classic sound that it didn't bother me anymore because it didn't feel like a weaker version of what they used to do. It felt like a whole new thing. So I'm like, all right, cool, I'm back in. So Bring Me the Horizon seems extremely similar. Their early albums are really rough, really abrasive, not really my thing. Sepaternal, as I kept talking about, I love, just fucking love it. Perfect for me, I love that album. Then the album after that just felt like a weaker version, so I didn't like that. <laughs> but this new album is just different and weird, and it's so weird that it doesn't feel connected anymore. It doesn't feel like a lesser version. It feels like a whole new thing. So I'm, I'm back in, you know? It's like I still am only paying attention to this band because I love that Sepaternal album so much. But this new album's kind of cool, and in particular this song, Nihilist Blues, completely unlike anything they've ever done. It's kind of just like sad rave music. It's like if you had a rave underwater is what this song is. And it's really cool. So here's Nihilist Blues by Bring Me the Horizon. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Oh